Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every day, we rise. Challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I did get a report. My wife let me know this morning that there was a letter from Owen Schroyer to me this morning. I did send him a letter a couple of weeks ago. Gosh, it's probably been more than a few weeks ago now. I need to send him another one. And I am pleased that I heard back. I'm very excited to read that letter from him. I hope that you guys are doing the same, sending Owen letters and showing support. As he has passed the halfway mark, he is almost done. He's just got to do everything he's already done one more time, and then he'll be back here with us on InfoWars, hosting the War Room. Of course, Harrison Smith has been doing a great job on the War Room, and it's been an honor and a pleasure for me to be with you here on the American Journal. I will certainly miss you. When I'm gone after Owen comes back, but I will be very pleased and abundantly happy to see Owen back on the air. I cannot wait. So much news to cover today. A lot of breaking news around Elon Musk, artificial intelligence, and CBDCs. We've been talking a lot about a couple of these things, a few of these things over the last couple of weeks. And really, we see right before our eyes the development of the New World Order. We see the development of this globalist initiative. And... Whether it's a conspiracy from the top down or whether it's just a natural manifestation of the nature of power and organizations and how they combine and conglomerate is something to be debated. But there's one thing that's for sure. This is not good for individual sovereignty and individual liberty. Organizations don't like empowered individuals. That's why the best organizations are often the bootstrapped smaller ones. And then when they get large, they become sold out or compromised by their boards and sluggish, but we see reports like this from the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. This is the IMF director saying that CBDCs could replace cash, increase financial inclusion. Now, I've been going through the archives of Alex Jones, and I've been listening to some of his broadcasts from 2001. And as early as March of 2001, he was talking about cashless societies. And they're going to frame this CBDC, this digital currency, as this way to include minorities or those who are typically disenfranchised or not connected with monetary policy or monetary institutions. They're going to say that the CBDC is the best way to get them integrated. But when push comes to shove, we know that cash is actually the best way to include those who struggle the most. After all... Those who are homeless have the hardest time getting a bank account. Those who don't have an address to call their own have the hardest time getting a checking account, managing a checking account. And those who are homeless among us and struggling the most among us rely the most on cash. 
Obviously, the government is antagonistic toward cash because they can't track the way that it's used. It can get lost, or perhaps it's used for black market operations, or it's used to buy drugs on the street. But we know that the government doesn't really care about whether or not you do drugs. After all, 100,000 Americans die every single year of overdoses, and we constantly catch our intelligence community engaged in firearm sales with the cartel. We know that our government is actually in the drug business itself. It just wants a monopoly on the drug business. It doesn't actually care about keeping our people off of drugs and so when push comes to shove we understand that cash is actually the best thing possible for a very very poor class of our civilization but we see time and time again these globalists these international monetary fund leaders these federal reserve bankers talk more and more about the importance of cbdc in the context of including those who are most vulnerable in our society the concept of central Bank digital currency, the opposite of decentralized crypto, whose purpose can be summed up as a way to keep financial power firmly cemented in the hands of governments and their central banks in the digital age, unsurprisingly has a staunch supporter in the International Monetary Fund. Georgieva addressed the Singapore FinTech Festival, and according to her keynote speech, CBCDs are capable of replacing cash. So there's Alex Jones right again about the cashless society coming. Now we're hearing it at the highest levels of society, the highest levels of these globalist bankers. And CBCDs can also apparently do the magic trick of, quote, financial inclusion. So, oh, I see where this DEI was coming from, this diversity, equity, and inclusion. I see where this environmental sustainability and governance policy from these central bankers was coming from. This was all about framing the psychological narratives to ensure that we could usher in these CBDCs and say that it's all in the name of inclusion, right? Because we want a diverse number of people to be able to participate in our monetary system. We want to make sure that we have environmental sustainability and governance in our organizations that all are included, regardless of their sexual orientation, economic class, socioeconomic status, or other immutable characteristics. And so they want to usher in these CBDCs. They even go on to say that AI might be baked into the whole thing in order to enhance CBDCs. But how is it that someone who's homeless on the street struggling with drug addiction or mental illness, illness can be benefited by these CBDCs? Well, it's not immediately obvious to me. It seems to me, in fact, that these CBDCs are actually a way to exploit the system, take advantage of those who are most vulnerable, and ensure that the entirety of humanity is enslaved. <laughs> I know it sounds comical when I, when I frame it like that, but the fact of the matter is... They're going to usher in these CBDCs, and they're going to do it in conjunction with things like UBI. Do you remember a couple of years ago when Bernie Sanders was running for office and we were talking about universal basic income? Joe Rogan was saying, oh, it sounds like it would make a lot of sense if we eliminate these welfare programs and we just give everybody fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year, then things could be so much better. And on the surface, it sounds like a good idea. After all, we know how inefficient government can be. We know how troublesome government can be, how terrible some of these institutions like food stamps are, how these government programs have these social workers that don't really care and they waste money and they spend money on bureaucratic initiatives. And no matter how much money we seem to throw at homelessness and the likes of San Francisco or Los Angeles, it never seems to solve the problem. So why don't we just eliminate these programs and give universal basic income out? Well, the problem with that is that the population that is most in need of universal basic income is not exactly the population most equipped to understand how to manage their finances.
We know that when we see people win the lottery time and time again, just in a matter of 24 or 36 months, we see them bankrupt. We see them struggling on the street. We see them having lost everything after the pariahs in their lives have come after their loot and their booty and taken it for themselves, taken advantage of them, encouraged them to make bad investments, and they wind up just where they started, buying lottery tickets and a pack of Newports every Friday as they wait for another chance at the big shot. And so if they're going to usher in these universal basic income practices, then aren't they going to want to manage the money for the people? Aren't they going to want to control how the people spend the money? Because we know that this class of system is financially illiterate. This class of civilization is financially struggling. They don't really understand how to manage their money. They overspend it. They'll buy stupid things like plasma TVs instead of investing in 401ks or 529s for their kids. And it's not going to work out, right? Unless we have a CBDC. Because if we have this centralized managed digital currency, then we can usher in things like universal basic income and we can claim that we're helping the poor and the vulnerable among us, that we're increasing financial literacy and that there's a graduated program that's going to get us out of this managed system. But the fact of the matter is, folks, they're just going to use that as an excuse to get everybody on a digital currency because it's not about helping the poor. It's about enslaving all of humanity. It's not about bringing people out of poverty and liberating them from the ails of their poverty. It's about bringing you into poverty and making you dependent on the system because as soon as you become dependent, you are no longer free. And as soon as you lose your freedom, they guarantee their own power. So I would be very careful as I hear reports increasingly over the next several years, especially as things get more economically woeful. I'd be very careful to believe anything you hear about CBDCs, centralized digital currencies, new universal basic income practices, or the way that the government is going to manage the money for the poor on behalf of the poor. Because after all, they want you to be poor and they want to manage everything that you own and make because you are their bread and butter. In the meantime, make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com. Be the reason we are still in the air because you won't be hearing reporting like this from the likes of many others. Make sure you check out X2, which is back in stock and on sale. We've got some amazing Black Friday sales as well. Black Friday starts now, actually, before Thanksgiving. Take advantage of our awesome sales. We have up to 60% off some of our most famous products. Investigative journalist Michael Schellenberger has exposed Renee DeResta, our research director for the Stanford Internet Observatory, SIO, is one of the key architects behind the censorship industrial complex. This is actually the first time I've ever heard that expression. I'm sure it's not the first time that it was used, but this is the first time I've ever heard of the censorship industrial complex. And it's really just clicking with me right now because it's absolutely true that there is an entire industry around censorship. There are organizations that are designed just for the purpose of censoring you. They often work on behalf of the CIA or with former CIA operatives to silence you. And there is millions upon millions, if not billions upon billions of dollars to be made in this industry. DeResta is connected herself to the CIA and a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, which seeks to implement a one-world government. Before DeResta became research director for the SIO, she was research director for a small Democrat donor-funded political consulting firm called New Knowledge LLC that created thousands of fake Russian bots. And she's considered a disinformation expert, probably because she is an expert at creating disinformation. Now, let's talk a little bit about Russian bots. When we think about Russian bots, we think about these annoying little bots that reply to you when you say something counter-narrative on any social media platform, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. 
And they reply, and it's irritating. We saw a lot of this around Ukraine. But that is not the primary function of these bots because these bots, when properly used, are used to exploit the algorithm. So the way these algorithms work is a combination of various factors. So how much engagement does a post get? How quickly after it's posted? So if you post something and it only gets three likes in the first hour, the algorithm is not really going to pick it up as very exciting. But if you post something and it immediately gets 15 likes in three seconds, then that's a major indicator that there's some viral potential, right? Also, it's going to take into consideration how many replies you get because engagement is what keeps people on these platforms. Keeping people on these platforms is what keeps the ad revenue coming in for the companies. And so they love to see replies and engagement. So something that's getting a lot of likes and a lot of replies within a short period of time after it's posted is likely to be picked up by the algorithm and pushed in front of more people than anything else. And it'll even go so far as to push content in the for you category of like a Twitter or a TikTok or an Instagram that isn't actually toward an audience exclusively that's already following the page. That's one of the beauties of TikTok and Instagram in terms of usability and user experience is that you can go viral even if you have no followers because if the algorithm determines that your piece of content has viral potential, then it'll push it out to thousands of people who don't follow you and that's how you can blow up a page so quickly. And so when you have Russian bots, it's not just to troll people or to say a counter narrative in the replies. It's actually more used to propel unnaturally, unfairly content that is made and exploited by these bots. So if I'm Media Matters, for example, and I want everybody to see my article about how X is the new central platform for anti-Semitism on the Internet, then I'm going to post this article and I'm going to see to it that hundreds or thousands of bots respond with something that looks very real with accounts that might actually be aged. So they were created in 2012 or 2009, which is going to add to their credibility in the algorithm score. And they're going to reply and it's going to propel this article so that it shows up in the For You page of thousands of people who don't even follow Media Matters. And all of a sudden, we're going to see conservatives responding and replying and griping about this content. And those replies are going to propel the algorithm even more. And then all of a sudden, major advertisers are seeing this major Media Matters article and they're freaked out because their ads are cited as appearing next to anti-Semitic content. They're going to pull their ad revenue and it's all because of the lie of the bots. Nobody actually cared about the story to begin with. But it was a fake until you make it sort of play. And that's exactly what Media Matters has done. This is what others have done as well. It's mainly what governments have done or CIA narratives have done. But other organizations have done this as well. I'm sure that the ADL has done this. I can't verify that for sure. But my speculation is that they have. And this is why there's this lawsuit between Elon Musk and Media Matters. This is the problem because we know that the ADL may have been responsible for as much as a 90% reduction in ad revenue for Twitter after Elon Musk bought the platform because ADL was scaring advertisers off. And they do things like ensure that ads are placed next to anti-Semitic content so that they can go and report it to those businesses and then hype up scare. They, they, they plant it. They want these businesses to have the reputation called into question so that they're scared into pulling their ad revenue because after all, the establishment really wants X to fail. OpenAI and Microsoft want X to fail. The CIA and the FBI want X to fail. The government, the politicians want X to fail. 
And I know the Republicans have been supportive of X up until this point, but as soon as free speech turns on the Republicans, we know that they're going to shake in their boots just like the Democrats have. But as Elon Musk promised, X files lawsuit against Media Matters accusing the organization of manipulation and defamation in order to attack free speech. X Corp, the corporation behind the social media platform X, has filed a lawsuit against progressive activist organization Media Matters. X is contending that the group launched what X owner Elon Musk described as a fraudulent attack on X. Following pressure from the Media Matters campaign, a vast array of high-profile corporations decided to discontinue advertising on X. I believe that some of those advertisers who pulled their advertisements were Apple. I think Liongate was one of them, the, the movie studio. And there are other really large ones. And this is a critical time for Twitter because Twitter now, X, of course, is profitable for basically the first time ever. And it's launched this artificial intelligence tool. And it seems very interesting to me that this sort of attack by Media Matters on X is coming right as Grok... X's version of ChatGPT was released to the public because now that the government is seeing that this is not only a platform for free speech, but it's also a platform that's going to have this sort of open sourced artificial intelligence alternative to ChatGPT. Now we're talking about a major threat because ChatGPT was how Microsoft was going to beat Google and search. And it was also how the government was going to do the most massive PSYOP in the history of PSYOPs on the entire population by controlling not only the information that you're given, but also being able to manipulate your psychological profile as to how you receive information at all. After all, with search, they can't really reprogram you. They can lie to you and they can deceive you. But with an artificial intelligence assistant like ChatGPT, if used on a wide scale and programmed to manipulate you, it can not only deceive you and misrepresent information to you, but it can actually manipulate the way that you receive information at all. And this is one of those big American moments where we have to win. It's the truth here at InfoWars for InfoWars. It's the truth certainly for me personally, and it's the truth for our country on a national level. We don't have a choice but to win at this point. Meanwhile, Trump is suing MSNBC, Reuters, and 18 other news orgs claiming they coordinated a misreporting of $73 million truth social losses. Donald Trump is still very angry over the erroneous reporting about the financial losses at his Twitter clone, Truth Social. And in a new lawsuit filed Monday, the ex-president claimed that the reports were actually a vast media conspiracy involving no less than 20 major media outlets. Fact of the matter is, they reported that Truth lost $73 million, but it actually only lost $31 million. <laughs> so I don't really agree with the way that this article is framed. Some of the language they use is just sort of like passively insulting to President Trump. But let's, let's be real here. Truth Social absolutely sucked. And the fact that it lost $31 million doesn't really sound much better than losing 73 to me. I mean, if you really want to talk about losses, we should talk about ChatGPT, which costs $700,000 daily to maintain. There's questions coming in about whether or not it's sustainable. And I think that part of the reason why we might see so much antagonism toward Elon Musk right now is because they're worried that if OpenAI becomes financially vulnerable, then Musk could just come in and swoop in and buy it. ChatGPT, the artificially intelligent chatbot that forever shook the world of K-12 through education, when it launched in November of last year, it cost roughly $700,000 a day to operate. And you remember when Elon Musk bought Twitter and it was costing, it was losing, I think, a million dollars a day. And he was able to turn that around. I think he fired, what was it, 70% of the entire staff. 
The app actually runs better now than ever before. And it was just at the break-even point. It was about ready to start making money when we saw these attacks by Media Matters coming for it. Apparently, the company, ChatGPT, could face bankruptcy by 2024, the analysis suggests. For now, they're able to sustain themselves with the help of investors like Microsoft. Microsoft's $10 billion investment. It was $10 billion, not $100 billion. Okay, we got this right. Microsoft's $10 billion investment in OpenAI is possibly keeping the company afloat at the moment, the report reads. But on the other hand, OpenAI projected an annual revenue of $200 million in 2023 and expects to reach $1 billion in 2024, which seems to be a long shot since the losses are only mounting. So it's propped up artificially by Microsoft, and it's because the technology itself is going to be infinitely valuable. But really, the thing is, once a technology like this is established, it's sort of like in sports. Once one person ran a mile faster than four minutes, then all of a sudden everybody started doing it. And so they really have accomplished groundbreaking technology here with ChatGPT. They're sort of the first to do it. They were the first to do it on a massive scale. And they were the first to do it with such a massive data input and computing power that they were able to create such a sophisticated tool. But the fact of the matter is, now that they've done it, everybody's going to do it. And the other thing to consider, too, is that the government has had this level of strength in terms of artificial intelligence for decades, likely. And companies like Twitter and others are going to make their data open source. They're going to give access to their APIs, and other developers are going to be able to create tools like ChatGPT, but better than ChatGPT, because people are sick of the censored crap you get back from them. I work with ChatGPT almost every day. It helps me write ads for my clients. It helps me write content for some of the videos that we make here. I use it to write some of the narratives and the stories to help me assist me writing some of the narratives and the stories for the AI videos that I make here. We have the voice of the the similar voice to Paul Harvey talking about if I were the devil, things like that. I use ChatGPT to help me with that. I put in the original scripts and I said, hey, rework this. And I tweaked it and I edited it and I made it my own. But don't get me wrong, it's a useful tool. It's brilliant. But even when I go in, I say, okay, write this in the style of InfoWars. It says, I'm sorry, we can't use the style of InfoWars because InfoWars is a hateful misinformation, fake news organization. Can you think of someone else you'd like to, to be in the style of? <laughs> you have to massage it and trick it in order, in, in order to get it to tell you the truth or do what you want it to do. And people are sick of that crap. People don't want an artificial intelligence that is so clearly gate-kept. They don't want to be manipulated. They don't want to be psychologically fooled, tricked, coerced by an artificial intelligence that patronizes them. After all, we are the humans here. You're the machine. Why are you, the machine, patronizing me? People are going to seek alternatives, and they're going to want to use the Groks or whatever as tools Instead of these censored, very state-level, state-smelling, disgusting sort of platforms that are very clearly designed not to be used by you, but instead to use you. These tools are designed to manipulate you, not to help you. And people are going to want to use artificial intelligence in the future. We're always going to have a place for it in our work. But I don't think that this state-sponsored type of artificial intelligence is going to stick. I mean, just look at our pop culture over the last 50 years, sci-fi hit after sci-fi hit has been about artificial intelligence. I don't believe they even used artificial intelligence in the world of Dune because they had sort of passively mentioned in that sci-fi novel that it was too dangerous. We saw in The Matrix 
that everyone was all excited about artificial intelligence until it took over the world. You can watch iRobot. You can watch Westworld. You can see any piece of mass media, pop culture, sci-fi content about artificial intelligence. And everybody already knows subconsciously in our culture that it's bad news if left unchecked. And so we have to come up with some sort of a compromise, some sort of a hybrid where it's not really an artificial general intelligence, but it's just rapidly automated processes that we can trigger on an intuitive basis. We can deal with it like a human, but it can't ever have that autonomy, right? Because if it has that autonomy, it'll come after us. But the other problem is if it doesn't have autonomy, then it comes to a matter of who's actually controlling it. Because if it's a controlled, centralized artificial intelligence, then it may not go rogue and operate on its own. But then we have to deal with the fact that it's being run by the government, a government which seeks to subjugate us by all means necessary. We see this from the CBC, CBDCs to other avenues and methods and quarantine camps and pandemics and fake wars and false flag operations. that They've been trying to subjugate us for hundreds of years. Basically, ever since the government has established its objective is to pivot and pivot over and over again through a form of sick natural selection where it eventually evolves into an entity that can totally run your entire life instead of you running for office to run it. So we know subconsciously as a people that artificial intelligence cannot be a generalized artificial intelligence. But we also know that artificial intelligence cannot be run just by the government because if it is run by the government, then it will be used against us to target our freedoms. So the only solution is to have open source artificial intelligence, a democratized access to artificial intelligence. This is the conclusion that Elon Musk came to. And I know that I, I speak a lot of praise about Elon Musk. I know I talk about him a lot. He's in the news a lot, frankly. I know he's not perfect, and I know that we shouldn't worship him as some sort of idol. I know that he screwed up the free speech thing and, and by the way of InfoWars and by the way of Alex Jones. But when push comes to shove, I have seen dozens and dozens of personal friends now that I've been in this podcasting space, who lost their accounts before he was there and now have them back. Whether it's Harrison Smith, whether it's Matt Couch, whether it's Ryan Dawson, you name it, there are countless examples of people who were banned for years who are back on the platform. And though he's not perfect, he seems to be very clearly a step in the right direction. After all, why else does the establishment hate him so much? If he's so anti-free speech, if he's a false flag operator, then why is the ADL coming after him? Why is Media Matters coming after him? Why is he constantly under investigations? Why do you think it is that I'm so frustrated with this article, okay? Just, I wonder if you guys have the same thought that I have when I read it. So maybe when you call in at the end of the show today, you can let me know. Here's what it says. A little-known surveillance program tracks more than a trillion domestic phone records within the United States each year, according to a letter Wired obtained that was sent by U.S. Senator Ron Wyden to the Department of Justice on Sunday, challenging the program's legality. After all, the Patriot Act did expire, didn't it? According to the letter, a surveillance program now known as Data Analytical Services, DAS or DAS, has for more than a decade allowed federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies to mine the details of Americans' calls, analyzing the phone records of countless people who are not suspected of any crime, including victims. Using a technique known as chain analysis, the program targets not only those in direct phone contact with a criminal suspect, but anyone with whom those individuals have been in contact with as well. So it's another degree of separation away from the crime. And there's only like six degrees of separation away from like anyone to anyone, right? So we know that by doing two or three degrees, they're basically including a, a giant number of people. I don't know what the math is on that. Maybe we could ask ChatGPT, but this will be a giant number of people, right? And 
I asked at the beginning, why do you think it is that I'm so frustrated with this little piece of information, this, this little story? Well, I'll tell you right now. The reason that this article makes me incredibly upset is because we hear reports like this constantly as if they're breaking news when Edward Snowden came out 12 years ago and said they were looking at your tits through your webcam. Like, you're telling me that this is news? Oh, my gosh. The government's monitoring our phone records? Yeah, no, duh. And you're upset about this now? We got to report about this every single day for like the last 10 or 15 years. Why do you think it is that Edward Snowden is hiding in Moscow? He's literally got to seek asylum in the most unfriendly place in the world, perhaps, to the freedom of the press because it's got more freedom for him there than the United States has here because he revealed that the government has been spying on the American people for like 10 years. Actually, 20 years, ever since the Patriot Act, right? And we know that it expired, but it looks like they didn't stop doing it, even though it's illegal now. Yeah, of course they didn't stop. They don't stop once you give them power. You got to wake up, people. Like, this isn't news. This is just junk. We already knew this. Everybody knows this. I bet you could even ask, maybe maybe not. Maybe if you went out in the streets, maybe you went out in New York or Los Angeles and you walked up to some random hotties from Gen Z or whatever, then you asked them about Edward Snowden. Maybe they'd say, oh, is that the guy that was in the Beatles? I don't know. Maybe they would say something like that. Maybe they wouldn't have a clue who that was. Maybe if you asked them whether or not the government was spying on them, they would say they didn't think so. Or maybe if you asked them whether or not the government was spying on them, they'd say, yeah, of course, but who cares? So what? I don't have anything to hide. That's probably the mentality here. But the problem is, folks, when the government is never held accountable for anything. It just keeps doing it. So it doesn't matter if the laws change. It doesn't matter if the politicians change. If no one gets accountable, held accountable for MK Ultra, they're going to keep doing MK Ultra stuff. If the government never gets held accountable for false flag operations that get us into Vietnam, then they're going to keep doing false flag operations. If the government never gets in trouble for the likes of 9-11, they're going to keep doing terrorist attacks like 9-11. Because no one ever gets put up against the wall for the crimes they commit against humanity and the violations that they commit against the people of the United States of America. And so when I read a report like that, as if it's breaking news, it's such an insult because I wonder if those journalists are actually lying to me or if they actually think that they broke a story. I mean, do they think this? oh, gosh, we got them. Wow, there's this new DAS program where they're monitoring the phone records of people that aren't even associated with the crime as if that's news. Are you stupid? I don't know. I, I don't mean to lose my temper. It's not, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic about this or silly about this. But the fact of the matter is, yes, they're spying on us. Yes, they're going to keep spying on us. And if you don't know, you don't know. And if you know, you don't care. And so you deserve it. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, they're locking people up for freedom of speech. They're coming after people just because of who they support. They're disproportionately auditing right-wingers, just like they did under Eric Holder. This is an attack. This is tyranny by conspiracy. It's not tyranny by conquest. It's tyranny by conspiracy. They're conspiring against us, and we have to conspire against them. We can't beat them with the Second Amendment because they're not fighting us on a front. But we can beat them if we come together and establish our own counter-conspiracy. If we somehow organize and coordinate in secrecy against the deep state, we can out-deep state the deep state. That's the way to do it. When push comes to shove, that's what we have to do. We have to conspire and we have to select candidates. We have to push candidates. We have to create technologies. We have to start thinking like innovators, like startups – like technologists in the space, we have to figure out new innovative ways because it's not going to work by marching down the street. It's not going to work by knocking on doors. It's not going to work by going on Fox News with our 
perfect hair and our perfect suits and our perfect look and just talking about how it's travesty what they're doing to America. It's not going to work. I mean, this network is absolutely imperative. Don't get me wrong, because you have to have freedom of speech. You have to first enlighten the people. You have to awaken the people before you can affect any change. But once the people are awakened, then it's a matter of what do we do now? Once the founders of this country realized were enlightened to the fact that King George and this colonialism wasn't going to be a good game for them down the road, then what did they do? Yes, they fought a war. Yes, it was fought on a front. But first, they conspired. They conspired. So we need to move from a conspiracy theory movement to a conspiring movement. We need to shift gears from just understanding the conspiracies against us to manifesting the conspiracies against them. We have to figure out how we're going to get together, whether it's in small groups of just three people you trust or eight people you trust. How are you going to get together and create the next software tool, the next AI tool, the next bot tool, the next whatever innovative thing that I can't even imagine sitting behind this desk talking to you now? You have to figure it out. Because the only way we're going to beat these people, it's not going to be with AR-15s on some glorious front where hundreds of years from now our great-grandchildren talk about how we saved America. That's not how this victory is going to be had. We have to beat them the way they've been beating us. We have to play the same game. We've been trying to play chess while they've been playing checkers or vice versa. They've been playing chess against us. We've been playing checkers. It's time for us to play the game by their rules. We want to win these elections. we got a ballot harvest. We want to beat these people that are going into nursing homes and convincing old people in dotage how to fill out the ballot. And maybe we need to start going to nursing homes and telling old people in dotage how to fill out their ballots. Maybe that's what we got to do. Maybe we need to do exactly what they do, because after all, if they persecute or prosecute us for it, then we can just say, wait, you did it here, here and here and here and here. Right. Maybe we need to do things like have billionaires like Soros that actually fund counter DAs, counter attorney generals, counter politicians to run. Maybe we need to have organizations like Media Matters called Media Splatters that just bashes Media Matters all day. Because all I see right now is Elon Musk with a limited number of billions of dollars going out and waging war against these people and everyone's cheering them on. That's great. But no one else is doing it on a smaller scale. No one's actually holding these people to the fire. So start thinking not about how much ammo you have in your house and how much life select you have stored up for when everything falls apart and start thinking about how you can conspire, who you can conspire with, how you can wage lawfare on these people. Because that's the only way we're going to beat them. They have figured out how to gnash teeth, rip flesh like vampires, like pot belly goblins. They have figured out how to just totally annihilate the right Good people. Because good people don't think like evil people. We don't come up with evil crap. We don't have time to think about whether we're going to protest, how we're going to throw paint on somebody, how we're going to assault somebody, how we're going to do a tricky media thing. Because we're trying to run small businesses, pay bills, and spend time with our family. But these people don't care about family. They want to take down the nuclear family. They want to tear down everything that's precious to America. And they think in such a sick and twisted way that we can't even fathom the way that they operate. It's similar to how it's hard for us to understand how the Chinese think because they operate in such a collectivist way and we operate in such an individualist way. It's hard for us to understand the mindset of a communist person because, after all, we come from such a capitalist sort of neoplatonic background. But we have to start thinking like an evil person. I'm not saying that we have to do evil, but we need to think like an evil person. There's a great scene from the movie War Dogs in the end where Bradley Cooper's character says, I am not a bad man. But sometimes I have to ask myself, what would a bad man do? 
And that's where we are right now in this country. We are not to be bad people. We are not to ever do bad things. But we need to be asking ourselves, what would bad men do if this were happening to them? What would bad men do if their government was coming down hard on them? What would bad men do if they were being unjustly arrested, unjustly censored? Yeah, it's very obvious that Russia's won this war. And they can talk all day about how, oh, they didn't conquer the entirety of Ukraine. But all they ever wanted were those eastern regions. To be liberated, so-called liberated. Now, of course, they're being sort of integrated into the Russian government itself by their own volition. We see the leaders of both the, was it the Luhansk and uh, Donetsk regions are voluntarily trying to integrate into Russia itself and become Russia again. And this is all part of Russia's strategy to establish its trade corridor, make sure that it has control over the way that natural gas exits the nation and simultaneously ensure that Ukraine will never join NATO. And frankly, we see that now. There's no way that Ukraine's ever going to join NATO now because of what happened with Russia. And they know that it would just happen again if they did. So they're done for. And if this war continues to perpetuate, if Zelensky doesn't give up soon, he is out of office. I give it 90 days. I say by the Ides of March, he has until he experiences an Ides of March of his own. And that, of course, being the stabbing in the back of his own military, his own leaders, especially if he goes to push off this election. If he motions to push off this election indefinitely, he's dead. He's just he's dead. They're going to kill him. I don't see any other way based on anything that I know just as a layman of history that they don't whack the guy if he keeps pushing this war because when push comes to shove, his military leaders are going to understand that every day the war continues is another day of unnecessary deaths of Ukrainian soldiers. But that is not stopping Lloyd Austin who visited Ukraine and sent another $100 million more in dwindling aid. We touched on this just briefly a few minutes ago. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin made a surprise trip to Ukraine on Monday, arriving hours before the U.S. announced an additional $100 million in security assistance for the war-torn nation. Austin visited Kiev to meet with Ukrainian leaders and reinforce the staunch support of the United States for Ukraine's fight for freedom, the Pentagon said in a statement. <laughs> staunch support. He handed him a crisp $100 bill, and he said, Good luck, Zelensky! We have always had your back. That's Benjamin Franklin right there on our $100 bill. He's one of our favorites, and don't worry. You will always have our support. Meanwhile, in other parts of the world, we see that leaders of nations are turning more and more to the right. We saw that Malay won the election. We see that there's this populist movement on the rise, and this populist movement is being hit with backlash as video of leader of Dutch far-right anti-globalist populist party is attacked with bottle days before the election. Let's go ahead and run clip two and see what happened.
You see that he was attacked in a trendy bar there. I hope the commie that attacked him found that the bottom of the bottle is always dry. Dutch politician Thierry Baudet. I'm going to assume it's Baudet. Maybe it's Baudet. <laughs> has been hospitalized after he was attacked at a campaign event by a man wielding a beer bottle. The incident was the second attack on Baudet in recent weeks and took place two days before a general election. Baudet was greeting supporters at a bar in the northern city of Groningen on Monday when the assailant struck him repeatedly on the head and neck with the bottle. Video footage showed Baudet's security team rushing the injured political leader away as bystanders wrestled the attacker to the ground. So we see that things are getting unhinged, increasingly violent. And Matt, it reminds me of conflicts that we saw in the region, maybe, I don't know, in the 1920s. 100 years ago, between the communists and the national socialists, we see that the right-wingers and the left-wingers are increasingly engaged in violence against one another. And I'm not pro-violence by any means. I'm a pacifist, I guess. I don't believe in war unless it's defense against a domestic invasion or some sort of revolution. But it pleases me to see conflicts escalate to violence like this because at least you just can look your, your enemy in the eye. There's none of this phantom maneuvering, these shadow enemies, these lawfare excuses where you don't know which CIA operatives or FBI operatives are behind this lawfare against American liberties or those who fight for freedom. If you guys know anybody who's at Beaver Creek Walmart right now, call and check on your people. I was literally just shopping for Thanksgiving stuff, and this guy walked right past me with an assault rifle, and he started shooting. I don't know if he shot people, or if people are dead, or what is going on, but I ran. I ran, so if you guys know anybody that's in Walmart right now, call and check on them, because... He shot like 10 times, and I don't even know how much more afterwards, but I just know I'm so lucky to be alive. He literally walked right past me. See footage there of first responders outside the hospital, excuse me, outside the Walmart. Very tragic event. Sad to see this happen time and time again. Of course, we know it's going to happen. They're going to blame the Second Amendment for these tragedies happening when we know the real crisis is mental illness. We know that this person was likely on SSRIs. We know that this person was likely hearing voices. And we know that it's even more likely that this person was a veteran. And I would even go so far as to suggest that a lot of these things are happening because of government experiments and government involvement in the psychology of our troops, of our soldiers. Very sad to see. And it just goes to show that we have so many problems here domestically. We're constantly hearing our politicians, our leaders talk about how important it is to deal with the ails of our friends abroad, whether it's Ukraine or whether it's Israel. But more voters back funding for U.S.-Mexico border than foreign conflicts, according to some new polls. American voters across party lines support more funding to bolster security at the southern border, while support for foreign countries embroiled in conflicts exposes stark partisan divides, according to the latest NBC News national poll. Survey finds that roughly three in four registered voters, 74%, support more funding for security along the U.S. border with Mexico, 
including 93% of Republicans and even 74% of independents and 58% of Democrats. So if there's any bipartisan issue that we can get behind, it is things like protecting our own border. It is things like ensuring that we have our own mental health and order here in the United States, that our veterans don't come back sick and hearing voices and ready to commit these atrocities. And even when we do engage in these conflicts overseas, it never seems to actually work. It never seems to actually benefit anyone because, after all, Ukraine is losing the war in a physical way and Israel is losing the war in a propaganda way. It seems like every time we get involved, we just create more conflict, more division and more complication in any of these matters. And maybe if we actually cared about these other countries, we would just let them take care of themselves and stop imposing sanctions on their enemies that catalyze such events. Maybe we should stop bullying the international community because of our global reserve currency and start allowing for free trade and open market and honest money again. After all, the world was seemingly at peace before we went off the gold standard, and it's been war after war and conflict after conflict for reasons unknown to the American people. The very people who are forced to fight in these conflicts. Just another example of how these conflicts don't actually benefit the United States. We see new reports now of Russian airlines to launch regular flights to Pyongyang for the first time. So now North Korea has for decades been notorious for being among the most isolated countries in the world and is for this reason often called the hermit kingdom. But we see that Russia is now engaging in international relations with North Korea. Obviously, North Korea has been like this sort of runt stepbrother of China. It's been dependent on leaning on China like a drunk brother and needing the support of the Chinese economy to sustain itself. We see that we have one big fat man at the top of a starving nation and they worship him like an idol because they are a hermit kingdom. They are totally isolated from how things can be in other places. They are totally brainwashed and manipulated into believing that this is their hero, their divine figure as they eat crickets and run in fear of imprisonment constantly. We saw what they did to Otto Wambier. It's just what they've been doing to others for decades and decades and decades in this communist nation. But now Russia is opening up relations, having regular flights, and ensuring that there is connectivity and communication with this regime. Because if World War III were to break out, North Korea would almost certainly be involved. It does have one of, if not the largest standing army in the world. And though it is undernourished and undersupplied, that's a lot of bodies that can be thrown into the meat grinder on behalf of a World War III effort. So if Russia and China and North Korea team up with Iran against Israel and other allies in Europe in this World War III conflict, it doesn't look very good for the United States. It would almost certainly escalate into a nuclear conflict because we likely couldn't win such a conflict on the ground. If you recall what the Pacific Theater was like in World War II, it was an incredibly brutal series of island-hopping campaigns and events. We know that it was... No good experience whatsoever to be held as a prisoner of war by Japan. And I imagine that being held as a prisoner of war by either Russia, China, or North Korea would be especially brutal, even worse, I think, than some of the things that we saw from the Holocaust. I think it would be as brutal as could possibly be if we were in a conflict with these people. And so our leaders, seeing our military, seeing our Gen Zers dancing around and doing TikToks, seeing our transgender, mentally ill law enforcement or military force, 
is going to look at this conflict and say, we're going to have to go to the nukes because these, these kids aren't going to be able to cut it. These kids aren't going to cut it. And they're trying to recruit new soldiers desperately. They're almost certainly going to have to resort to a draft in the event of a World War III breaking out. But we see them launching these ad campaigns to recruit for the Army, and they're finally starting to do things like show only heterosexual, strong white males in the ads. It's almost offensive now because they haven't been doing it for so long. To see them do it again, it's actually more offensive than it was when they were just doing it the whole time. We see ads coming out saying, by the way, guys, you don't have to be vaccinated anymore. They're practically begging people to join the armed forces, but nobody wants to join because everybody knows who the commander-in-chief is. Who wants to join a military run by the dementia-in-chief by Biden who can't even remember what he had for breakfast, what happened yesterday, what his name is, who he's married to, what his son did. Nobody wants to sign up for this guy because, A, we're almost certainly going to go to war, and, B, we're almost certainly going to lose it if we got that guy at the top and the cream of the crap at the bottom. So if we get into a World War III, it's going to be nuclear, and it's going to be bad. It needs to be avoided at all costs, which is why we need Donald Trump in office more now than ever, which is why InfoWars needs to stay on the air more now than ever. You can support InfoWars by going to InfoWarsStore.com. Connecticut City rejects 5G, citing evidence of health risks. The Board of Representatives in Stamford, Connecticut, earlier this month voted to reject a model agreement that would have allowed AT&T and Verizon to install 5G equipment on city-owned utility poles. Here's the crux of the article here highlighted. The 21 representatives were largely persuaded by presentations by six independent experts on the scientific evidence of harm from radio frequency RF radiation, including 5G, according to a local media report. The experts, including toxicologist and epidemiologist Deborah Davis, Ph.D., MPH, said there were many documented health and environmental impacts of wireless radiation, including brain damage, memory loss, decline in reproductive function, DNA damage, and harm to insects. I wonder if there's a 5G tower right outside the White House, because that would explain a lot of the behavior around our president. You know, I have been someone who has been reluctant to believe some of the theories or criticisms of 5G. I've always thought that it was sort of hyped up. After all, so many nations have 5G technology and they seem to be fine. But then I see more and more studies, more and more reports of things like massive fertility loss, massive loss of sperm fertility sperm counts among men over the last decades and i'm starting to think yeah maybe these wi-fi signals maybe these 5g signals have something to do with it maybe they're playing a part in the increases in cancer the brain tumors i see everywhere this cognitive dissonance this mental illness pandemic that we're facing maybe the voices that we're hearing in our heads our voice to school technology maybe this Consistent just bombardment of our bodies with these frequencies from all directions, whether it's radio, whether it's radiation, whether it's 5G, whether it's Wi-Fi, what have you. Maybe that's actually not very good with us. You know when you walk into a room and you can just kind of tell on the back of your neck that a TV's on? It, was, it used to be the case. It was really obvious when the TVs were like the big sort of heavy tube TVs. You could just tell it was on even if there's no sound coming from it, even if there's no light. If it was a black screen, you just like could tell almost like a really high frequency noise, but you, you weren't hearing anything. You just walked in and you could feel the electrical signal pulsating through your body. There's no way that's good for you. That's not natural. You turn it off and all of a sudden you're like, oh. And there's a part of me for a long time that's just wanted to turn off all the internet in my house. I've talked to my wife about it. I was like, what if we just get rid of all the TVs in our house, 
all the Wi-Fi in our house, and I rely on the office exclusively for things like internet activity. Let's get rid of our phones. Maybe we get a landline in case of emergencies and just not have phones in this house. Let's do a little house on the prairie approach and just go totally old school. Something about that sounds incredibly appealing to me. It's funny because I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, have you noticed that people get all miffed if you don't respond within 12 hours to a text? Like when I go home on the weekends, I've I, don't even, I, don't, yeah, I don't even look at my phone. Do you look at your phone on the weekends, Matt? I know that you turn your notifications off. Uh, depends. Yes. Yeah. So this weekend, for the first time ever, uh, you know, sent you some stuff over the weekend about yeah. the Altman thing. But typically on the weekends, I, I try to tune out. Yeah. I think it's so healthy to turn off and tune out. But do you remember in the 90s what it was like when you would go to the store and you'd say, okay, I'll be back in a couple hours? Uh, we long for those days. Yeah. <laughs> the other day I was messaging my wife on my Mac. And I was like, did I leave my phone at home? She's like, how'd you forget your phone? I was like, it's not that important to me, honestly. <laughs> I, you know, you need it for these things. It's great that we have these tools, but there's something to be said for being unreachable. After all, when you're reachable, you're sort of malleable. You can be impacted. Your day can be interrupted by the requests of other people. I kind of call the internet, I've called the internet before among friends and family and colleagues. I've called it the public to-do list. So it's a way that other people can add crap to your day or interruptions to your day that you didn't have planned for your own day. It's like a loss of sovereignty over your own life to be wired in all the time. Sometimes you just have to unplug from the matrix and get away from it. So we'll see what happens with this Connecticut ruling. But I think it's interesting that cities that have no reason to perpetuate conspiracy theories or necessarily believe in these conspiracy theories. In fact, they have every incentive to install these new technologies because then they can pitch to their constituents that there's going to be faster internet in the area. When hearing from experts that are against these technologies are saying, hey, let's take a closer look at this. This seems to be problematic. That is alarming to me when I hear reports like this. So great reporting there on Infowars.com. We've got, speaking of studies, new reports that COVID lockdowns were no more effective than Swedish-style softer approach. Major Oxford University-backed study suggests. I know that I'm preaching to the choir when I cover stories like this. I know that you're all aware that the lockdowns didn't work, that the masks didn't work, that the six feet didn't work, that the vaccines didn't work. In fact, the vaccines were harmful, the lockdowns were harmful, and the masks were harmful. Everything that they said was going to help us, in fact, seems to have harmed us. And now the studies from major institutions like... Oxford University are suggesting that we, the conspiracy theorists, were banned, censored, and silenced, and persecuted for saying all of these things all along are backing up what we had to say. Researchers made model that measures COVID deaths for different policies, letting people adapt behavior just as effective as lockdowns. A study suggests COVID lockdowns were no more effective at controlling the pandemic than letting people adapt their own behavior to the threat a major Oxford University-backed study suggests. So rather than this centralized approach to handling this pandemic, People could have just done what they were going to do anyway to be careful and avoid each other as much as possible, and everything would have ended up being exactly the same. Wow, what a surprise. It's no surprise to me. I'm sure it's no surprise to you. And anytime the government gets involved, it ends up just harming everybody, shutting down businesses, having health impacts that are resulting in our children being years behind natural development in terms of facial recognition and speech capabilities because of these mask mandates, these vaccines being hoisted and forced upon us on a mass level, causing all sorts of negative side effects, whether it's people stroking out with droopy faces, not being able to feel the left side of their body, or simply dying suddenly, as is well documented by the brilliant work of Stu Peters. 
None of these government involvements actually helped. And frankly, they didn't think they were going to help. They didn't care whether they would help. They don't care about us at all. They just want to use these crises as a pretext to usher in their globalist agenda and subjugate humanity for their own political class, for the sake of their own political high on the high living. While we wear masks and stay home and homeschool our kids and subjugate our kids to this tyranny and get yelled at by flight attendant after flight attendant for not properly putting the mask over our noses or the noses of our children, we see the likes of Gavin Newsom at the French Laundry, the bougiest of bougie restaurants, which is highly overrated, I might add. I would much rather have a burrito from Chipotle than anything from the French Laundry. I did have the unfortunate experience of eating there among the San Francisco elite, and it was not my favorite experience, I found it very superficial, overrated, and frankly disgusting. I did. The food wasn't even that good. Easy Mac was just as good as the trash Mac that they had. But they had some very good fish. I will say there was some very good fish there. But was it worth it to be associated with Gavin Newsom, to be sitting amongst the snobbiest people that think that they're so good because they gave $5,000 to some charity while they ate $5 million worth of food at the French Laundry every night over the course of three years? I don't think so. It was just, you could just tell that you're with people that weren't going to make it through the eye of the needle. You could just tell that everybody was on the short path to hell. They were living high on the hog, the whole state collapsing around them while they eat their $500 one bite worth of salmon. And they just have their nice plates and their, their sommelier coming over to the table to talk about how this wine pairs perfectly with this thing. And if this is a 2016 bottle and the chef, oh, oh, this is quite the, quite the experience. You know, this fish I highly recommend, but this other one is fairly oceanic. So if you want an oceanic experience, then I highly recommend a cod. But we should, oh, it was just, oh, the whole time I was there, I just like, I honestly felt like I wanted to get up and like go work at a construction site so I could feel like a human being again. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was so disgusting. And, and, you know, I'm grateful for the experience. It was very nice. That Love I was that treated review. To it. Love but, that review. Yeah, it was just, oh. Uh, and it's funny now, my wife and I have an inside joke. One of you guys gave it to me for free. <laughs> That's hysterical. Haley on Monday addressed a young girl wearing Haley 2024 campaign apparel and told her, I love your hat. Thanks, the girl replied. One of your guys gave it to me for free. So the kid obviously wasn't genuinely or authentically wearing the hat. Had been given the hat so that she could be depicted wearing it if called upon for a question at this Q&A. And it just goes to show the grift, folks. The amount of grift involved in both sides. It happens on the left and the right. It happens with DeSantis and Nikki Haley, just like it happens with AOC and Hillary Clinton. These people have no conviction. They write books and their campaigns buy thousands upon thousands of copies of the books. So the politicians make money personally off of campaign donations, and then they give these books out by the thousands. So they show up on the New York Times bestseller list, even though no one's actually read them. These are the grifters of America. These are the grifters in chief. They are liars and con artists and deceivers, deceptive, basically satanic. Whereas Alex Jones would say pop belly goblins. <laughs> but think about it. When was the last time you guys read a policy book? I read one of Donald Trump's policy books. Of course, I know he didn't write it. I read one just to see what a policy book looked like. But did you guys read Dreams from Our Father or The Audacity of Hope or 
any of Hillary Clinton's books or Becoming by Michelle Obama. I mean, these are all bestsellers. These all show up at the top of the list as if everybody is killing it. But nobody's actually read those books. I mean, I could talk to more people who've read Moby Dick, a book notoriously boring, than who have read any of the major policy books from any of our political leaders. And I'm not sure. Does Nikki Haley have a book out? I'm sure she does. Would the crew mind looking it up? I would love to see whether Nikki Haley has a book out. I'm sure it's one of those books that's probably in the top 20 bestsellers on Amazon or the New York Times or whatever that nobody's ever read. And she certainly didn't write it either, right? And so... We have these books that are bestsellers by authors unknown, read by no one, but somehow owned by thousands. And it's because it's all a grift. These hats are fake. They're given out. Nobody's wearing the hats. Nobody's putting the signs up in their yard. They're just giving them out. They're knocking on doors. They're making calls. They're trying to make it happen. And they're just not going to make it happen. Nobody wants anybody except Donald Trump because Donald Trump is the only one, ironically, that's not full of crap. After all of, there it is. With all due respect by Nikki R. Haley. Does it say anywhere on the cover that it's a bestseller? I can't read the fine print. That's so funny. Of course she has a book that no one read. The New York Times bestseller right there. Right there. The book nobody's ever heard of. Nobody's ever read. It's a New York Times bestseller because her campaign bought thousands of copies from key bookstores all over the United States in order to get it listed. What did I tell you, folks? These people are full of crap. Sometimes I wish that I could swear on this network. I'm not going to because I'm going to hold it together. I'm a professional here. It's a family-friendly program. But the words crap and doo-doo. Just don't cover it sometimes. Sometimes I really just need it. I just want to tear into these people. We gonna be drowning in rats. Rapper Cardi B bashes New York City budget cuts. Won't endorse Biden over Ukraine and Israel wars. Rapper Cardi B is regretting her endorsement of President Joe Biden. In an expletive-laden rant over the weekend, a rant that we can't show you because there are so many bad words and it's excessively long, <laughs> Cardi B, a.k.a. Belcalis Almanzar, what? Complained about Joe Biden's commitment to fund wars in the Middle East while a $120 million budget cut in New York City curtails spending on education, police, and sanitation. Everybody be like, New York is dirty, and it is dirty, and we're going to get even dirtier with the effing budget cut, the WAP singer said, taking exception with reduced spending on cleaning New York City streets. Crimes are going to go through the roof because there is a police safety budget cut. And on top of that, there's a sanitation F budget cut. So that means we're going to be drowning in rats, Cardi stated on Instagram Live. And you know what? She's not wrong. She's actually right. (laughs) You guys are going to be drowning in rats in New York City. There's a reason that everybody of sane mind left New York City during the pandemic, during the lockdowns. There's a reason nobody wants to be there whatsoever. Because it's absolutely disgusting what has happened to that city. It is the city that never slept. It was like this amazing bastion of American success for so long. It was a source of inspiration. Even Ayn Rand, the right-wing extremist herself, who I adore, actually. I adore Ayn Rand. I don't agree with her atheism. But there's so many things about what she said that just totally inspired me. I would not be here on this show speaking to you today if it was not for The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. 100% guaranteed fact. And she said that more than any natural creation, more than any 
natural manifestation of the earth, whether it's the Grand Canyon, whether it's the Himalayas, whether, whether it's any mountain or forest or just wonder of the world, any product of nature, she thought that the skyline of New York City was more beautiful than all of them because the skyline of New York City was man's mastery over nature. It was the accomplishment of capitalism. It was the accomplishment of free men with ambition, accomplishing great things, building buildings higher than ever before, towering over all of mankind with accomplishment and a free market economy that was just success after success. It was the center of capitalism in her mind. It was the pinnacle of liberty and success in her mind. It was a testament to the accomplishment of mankind with a vision and audacity to commit to that vision and manifest a physical structure as a symbol and practical means of actualizing oneself. To her, the skyline of New York represented self-actualization at its finest. It was a physical testament to all that is good about human beings, all that human beings are capable of. And now look what happened. Now we've taken the city that's gone from Billy Joel's New York state of mind where you can hear the jazz and smell the delicious food and see all the cultures and accomplishments just in your mind. It's just so visceral to this hellhole of crime and rats and dampness and dirtiness and protests and refugees and illegal migrants and corrupt politicians and seized cell phones and Hunter Biden art sales. It is absolutely a disgusting abyss. There's no such thing as Hell's Kitchen anymore because... New York City has become hell itself. No one wants to be there. No one wants to live there. I can't tell you how many different scenes from different subway moments we have shown on this very show, on this very network, whether it's homeless people taking baths and blow-up pools on the subway, whether it's maniacs ranting to themselves and causing intimidation and crime to happen on these subways. Even if you watch the movie The Joker, so much of it takes place. I know it's Gotham, but it's basically New York. It takes place on these subways with these graffitis and these crimes and these face paints and these corrupt police officers. I mean, it's absolutely a disgusting hellhole, and it's all because it's been run by Democrats with no values except for the desire to exploit their people, their constituents, for their own political gain. Make sure you call in 877-889-2539. Clown around town in New York City. What's going on, man? Honk, honk. How you doing, Chase? Good. Thanks for calling. Information Clown. Information Clown Call reporting for duty, sir. I just uh, <laughs> wanted to bring up, um, I don't know if you ever seen the guy, the ShamWow guy, Vince Hopper. So he started a show recently called the ShamWow Guy Show, and I'm going to be his clown around town, going around interviewing people on the street. And uh, I was actually trying to get him on the line early this morning. It might be a little too early. He's in California right now. Oh, yeah. It's um, hard with the but, Pacific time zone. It's only 8 a.m. there. Yeah, I'm definitely going to try to uh, ambush him right now with a phone call. So let me hold on one second. Let me okay. just ambush him. Okay, sure. Yeah, I remember the ShamWow guy. I remember seeing those infomercials. He's like the Tony Robbins of cleaning up. It was an amazing product, actually. I, I bought the ShamWow product. Because at the time, I was <laughs> washing cars for extra cash as like a junior high student. I mean, I would go around. That thing would, you could wash cars, wring that thing right out, and it worked like a charm. It was really ShamWow. <laughs> they put the wow in the ShamWow. <laughs> I miss the days of televangelism. And by televangelism, in this case, I mean telesales. I, I, miss, I miss the days of 
Americans getting on TV, showing an incredible product, making the pitch, and convincing thousands of people to buy a product. Sometimes the products were great, like ShamWow, and sometimes they were Please record so your message. When you finished recording. But it looks like we're having issues with connecting with Clown Car and the ShamWow guy, so maybe we'll have to have him call back another time. Let's hear from Karen in Austin. Karen, what's on your mind? Hi, Chase. Um, I'm originally a native from San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I was talking to a friend yesterday about how the homeless were cleared out in one night. That's upwards of 7,000 people, Chase. We have to think about how this happened, how it was planned. Where did they go? They're not back yet, Chase. My friend says they're still gone. They weren't just cleared out into underlying other outside neighborhoods. They were taken off the streets, and and I can't imagine that they went willingly. I mean, some of these are hardcore drug addicts that, you know, protect their turf. Yeah. Um, I could see, you know, people sleeping in the middle of the night passed out. Yeah, you can toss them like a stack of potatoes like they did Hillary into a van, but... I can't imagine most of these people were agreeable to being taken off the streets. Yeah, I think and they probably just no arrested them. They probably arrested them and just threw them in jail. Really, though? I mean, I don't think we have the capacity to take, you know, upwards of 7,000 people all into jail. Oh, and they're find still a place not back them. yet. If they have audacity, they'll find a place for them. Yes, but where? Because I know the hotel situation was super packed. So I can't imagine that any... You know, Bay Area Hotel was like, yeah, let me take on some uh, crackheads and sure. go ahead, let people. No, shoot I totally up in agree my with you. Whatever happened was in, totally in, in inhumane. Canada. There's no doubt that whatever happened to them was inhumane. I don't think they were killed or anything, but they were either shipped way out of the city limits or they were thrown in jail. In my opinion. Yeah, and, and taken against their will. And yeah. for me, like, what is the implication of that if they're able to do that in one night? Will they come mm. after us because we're MAGA supporters? Remember when Trump he he treated Kofefe? Yes. Trump was actually referring to he was referring to uh, the Pepe NFT Pepe NFTs Pepe the Frog mm. that was connected to the Bitcoin network. So I think well you know Satoshi they never found out who Satoshi is Satoshi he created uh, Bitcoin. So I think that Satoshi is actually connected to the Q operation. No one ever found out who the operators of of Q are. Uh, I, I also, um, there's this book about Bitcoin called Software. I think it was Chase Solari or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think that Bitcoin is actually like an operation to defeat like the central banks and to have like real money. I think there's a lot of stuff going on in the financial system too. Um, I think that they're going from the U.S. dollar to the U.S. note. They're going to get rid of the Fed. They're moving all the money from the Fed into the Treasury. And they're going to have a gold standard of the new paper currency that's going to replace the current dollar. They have also Nasera Jacera. They have like $100,000, like to pay the world that, I mean, $100 trillion. Like $300 trillion, I think it was. I'm not sure exact number, but it was enough to pay the entire world debt and the U.S. debt. So yeah, there's a lot going on financially. Interesting. I think that Trump is still actually the commander in chief the entire time. Yeah, I think this whole this whole thing's been like a big operation. Like it's it takes a lot of time to like replace the entire world's like systems, you know. Interesting intake. So, so, so here's here's my response to that. My thinking on the whole Q thing, I've never even talked about this on air. I think that Q was legit on 4chan and then when 4chan became 8chan or 8kun 
That was when a switch happened. And there have been language analysts that have come on and looked at the, the different postings from Q over time, and they've determined that there were multiple different people actually operating as Q online. And I think what happened was when 4chan switched to 8chan when it was acquired by CodeMonkey and others, that's when CodeMonkey took over and started acting as Q. That's when the Q stuff went down a rabbit hole that isn't accurate. That's when it went too far. That's my opinion on the matter. I could be totally wrong about this, but I have a hard time believing that Trump, just given the fact that I have boomer parents who can hardly turn on a TV and they're sharp people, they can hardly turn on a TV. I don't think Trump has a clue how this Bitcoin stuff works. I don't think he's thinking about NFTs. He might have team that is, but I don't think he's letting out dog whistles about Q related Bitcoins. I, you know, he might legally be, he might've legally won the election in 2020, but I don't think he's the commander in chief. And I think the most obvious reason he's not the commander in chief is not only that he's not in the West wing physically, but also that everything's just gone to hell since he's been gone. So obviously he's not running anything, whether he's legally the commander in chief or not. I just find it very hard to believe that any of this Q stuff was legit. I think it was a manipulation used by those who wanted 8chan or 8kun to be successful. They wanted Q to be on those platforms, even though he wasn't. And so they pretended to be Q and that's something that they did in order to get users to sustain the platforms. But I could be wrong about all that. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Let's hear next from Justin in Florida. Justin, what's on your mind? Doing? Good. How are you doing? I just want to talk about if you pay attention to history, mm-hmm. you'll see like the thing that got us into World War One to thinking of Lusitania. World War Two was Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Um, Vietnam, it was the Gulf of Tonkin. It's always a bug. Nine eleven. Nine eleven got us into Afghanistan and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking something's going to happen soon that gets us to go into Ukraine or Israel, some sort of false flag, because history repeats itself, and if you pay attention to history, all the signs are pointing towards it. Mm-hmm. The next, you know, I hate to say it, the next world war. Yeah, well, I think that we've been importing terrorists across the border with Biden's open border policy. I would be very surprised if we didn't have a terrorist attack in the next six months that was Hamas-inspired by some of these people that have crossed the border. I agree 100%. I think there's thousands of lone wolves here and i hate to say it but you know i'm just going to be on my p's and q's because i believe they're already here coming across the border and they're literally just waiting for a phone call and that's very scary you know this is very Mm -hmm. scary i have a family you know i'm a new father i just had a baby you know and you know quite frankly uh, i appreciate it um one more thing i just wanted to plug I just got the game. The game is awesome. I don't play games, but I, you know, I'm a supporter. So I got the Alex Jones game. It's, uh, it's amazing. Nitric boost is amazing. Turbo force is amazing. Uh, the X two is a staple of my, my day, my brain force, ultra brain force plus all these products are absolutely amazing. And they truly make my life much, much better. I'm a recovering addict. I've been clean for like three years, and these things literally help take some of that brain fog away, and they're just amazing. I highly recommend them. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for your support. I appreciate that. I'm really glad to hear that some of our products at InfoWarsStore.com have been helpful to you in your recovery. Congratulations on your three-year mark. Don't give up. Take it a day at a time. Let's hear next from Hopper in Michigan. Hopper, what's on your mind? Hey, Chase. How are you doing? I'm from Wisconsin, actually. Oh, excuse me. It's okay. 
um, W and an M kind of look the same on the screen there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about Matthew 17, the transfiguration. Are you yeah, familiar? Go ahead. go ahead. No, no, please enlighten me. Okay. okay. Uh, it's like uh, Jesus goes up a mountain mm. and uh, with two of the disciples and time travels. It's a scene in the Bible where they time yes, travel. Yes. And they see Elijah and Moses. Uh, I think the mountain's named Horeb. And it, then you like, for Elijah and Moses, the timeline is from the Old Testament, where they're on the mountain and they see God. And it's like a bizarre time travel scene in the Bible, which I always think is bizarre, because, you know, a lot of people say talk about time travel nowadays, spicy issue. And, you know, if it's in the Bible, it's the Word. Right. So I thought that was something really cool that people don't talk about, uh, and there's always a hot debate. And then I um, also wanted to talk about... Uh, um, Israel-Palestine conflict bounced an idea off you. I mentioned the neo-crusades to you, but I also was thinking, what do you think about doing like a balkanization where like Serbia or Yugoslavia, uh, the whole region there is chopped up into different zones so it can be remain, it can remain peaceful? Yeah, that's, what do you think? I think that's a very interesting insight. And I don't want you to take what I'm going to say the wrong way because I respect your position and what you just said, okay? So just take, just know that I'm not saying this as a bash to you. I don't care at all what happens anywhere except for in America, ever. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Hopper, to be like dismissive of what you just said because I respect you and I appreciate your call, but I don't give a damn <laughs> what happens anywhere except for in America. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. I just care more about Jerusalem. Yeah, I don't care about Jerusalem either. You know, that's the, you don't care about it. No, I don't think that a physical location there. is important to a relationship with God. I, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe it's a holy land. But if we go there and we put our hand on a wall and we're like, "Oh my gosh, this is where Jesus died," or whatever, it's like, so he died for everyone everywhere. He's with us all the time. He's omnipresent. Every part of creation is equally as holy as every other part. Just because something amazing happened in a location doesn't mean that I have to exacerbate millions of dollars of tax dollars and start World War III over it so that we can have tourists go there and put a hand on a wall. You know? That's a fair point. That's a fair point. You know, that's and I say that with all due respect. I can't emphasize enough how much I respect you. I'm not trying to be a dick to you, man. That's just no, how no. I feel. I, I, I feel the vibe, but like more so over, you know, I worry about the that I'm worried that the Christian sites, they will be desecrated by Islam and Judaism, yeah, just yeah. as how Jewish people spit on Christians nowadays. Yeah, well, maybe that's our plight. Maybe that's our path to Jesus. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know about that, but I mean, you guys uh, still trying to get used to the schedule and all, but uh, sure. I know who you are. You're making a good name for yourself. But anyway, I just wanted to explain how um, where some of these homeless are going mm. when some of these jails are going. I'll help this uh, earlier caller. Uh, is listening because when these jails are full, these homeless people are definitely getting shipped off to FEMA camps. Now I have a buddy in the police department. I can't say his name, but you know, he did tell me that the, you know, a lot of these jails are now capacity and a lot of these homeless people do get shipped off to these FEMA camps. And uh, as we know, um, a lot of these FEMA camps are underground and a lot of these tunneling systems connect there's a huge underground tunneling system, obviously, underneath our, uh, you know, our uh, surface. And there's multiple videos on YouTube or whatever that have been taken down over the years. Whistleblowers coming out talking about the guillotines and whatnot that have been purchased and shipped 
to these FEMA camps. They're Gee, fully supplied with food Hold and on. They're chopping heads off? They're chopping heads off, brother, right now. <laughs> and, that you know, they're starting, Chase. Come on, man. You got to. They're chopping heads off in FEMA camps, bro. Are you sure hey, the guillotines are for the watermelon? The homeless people, they will disappear and nobody's going to ask any questions. You know what I'm saying? And who better to start with than the homeless population and start working their way once the central bank digital currency comes into place, the market of East. Then the stage is already set. The FEMA camps will be open. Uh, mass death will commence. And I'm telling you, if you look into underground tunneling systems, you have mentioned the hollow earth theory, the underground bunkers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Deep underground military of, bases. A lot of documentaries about this stuff. Yeah, the dumbs, you know, uh, Phil Schneider and all the rest of OGs blew the stuff that's going on in, in those underground bases wide open when he's talking about Nephilim running the government and running these underground uh, bases. So it's not hard to believe that they're already starting this depopulation uh, process because. Let's just face it. The fallen ones are running this thing. You could say the Jews are running it all day, but it's really these Draco reptilians, these greys, these Nephilim. They are the fallen ones. They're the offspring of the fallen ones, and they are here to destroy us, and they've are, they're already starting. So time to get saved can, and try to get ready up that for Greg that tweet, That Greg Reese tweet from last week where he talked about looking into somebody's eyes and seeing a reptile. I don't know if you saw that, Sean. I don't know if you followed Greg Reese on, on X. Uh, obviously the audience is familiar with his work on, on Infowars, but you know, I used to think that the reptilian conspiracy theory was ridiculous. And the older I get, the more I dive in, the more feasible it seems that we're literally being operated by reptilian aliens at this point in time. That makes more sense to me than half the things I see from our own media. I'm telling you, man, they are here, and I know it sounds crazy and everything, but the stuff David Icke and all these cats have been talking about for years is all true, and uh, it's all shortly going to be revealed here. I believe these fallen ones are going to be revealing themselves soon, and that has to do with Project Bluebeam. Mm. Um, you know, it's not all going to be just holograms. Gonna, a lot of it's going to be real, but there will be holograms into play along with false flags and whatnot, so people really need to start having a discussion about how real these entities are, what their goals are, and what they're doing right now, because they're about to be revealed. Make no mistake. And that Mark Dice interview that Alex Jones brings up, I'm sure it's totally real. I'm sure Mark Dice has seen him. I know that, you know, there's just been multiple whistleblowers that have came out. Too much has came out already, so it's just time to have that discussion. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Thank you so much for your call, Sean. I appreciate it. Next up, let's hear from James in Indiana. James, what's on your mind? Where the Hillary Clinton and James Comey books go, they go to the dollar twenty-five store. That is where I've seen them. Yep, absolutely. I saw Megan Kelly's book at a CVS. Ironically, her book was called Never Settle, and it was on sale for like twenty-five percent off. <laughs> <laughs> but just real quick, we real quick, we stand with Donald Trump. We stand with Congressman Yachman, Indiana, and soon to be Senator Jim Banks in Indiana. We stand with. If you want to get rid of the rust, you go to the banks. Yeah. He wants to send all the illegals back. Yep, absolutely. Let's hear next from Rick in Missouri. Rick, what's on your mind? I've got a little bit, quite a bit of information for you about source code. I don't know how much longer you got before the break, but Just about if you a minute. Want to bring me back on after the. How long a minute can you bring me back on after the break? We'll see what we can do. Let's just dive in. Okay. Um, 
So we talked about the 666 uh, as far as vaccination mandatory, um, that sort of thing in the Sumerian cipher. The uh, You were talking about New York earlier. So New York and New Mexico are the only two states that equal 666 in that same Sumerian cipher. Right, right. That's right. Um, Everything goes back to was, 666. I remember. Yeah, it was 666 days from the Claydex pandemic exercise to the day that they declared the COVID pandemic in the U.S. Wow. Um when you look when you look at bright star and morning star in that Revelation twenty two sixteen, bright star equals eight 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 Sumerian and morning star equals eight 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 Sumerian. And what do you get when you add those two up? Six six six. No, you get seventeen seventy six. Oh, I love it, Rick. Thanks yeah. for your call. I appreciate it. Let's hear from Robbie in Pennsylvania. Robbie, what's on your mind? <laughs> hey Chase, how you doing? You're Good. killing it up. Thanks, man. I'm doing the best I can. Uh, that Nikki Haley clip was great. Uh, yeah, with the hat. Shows how fake is. Her real name is Nim- Nimarata Nikki Randhawa. Yeah. And she plays that race card, but she goes by Nikki Haley, some right. girl in South Carolina. Right. Uh, moving on, Argentina proves that uh, you can do an election with paper ballots. Yep. They had results in an hour. They have like 140 million people. Um, proves it. Deep state lost. Um, hopefully he follows El Salvador and goes Bitcoin and the central bank uh, is done. Um, yeah. Also, Ukraine and Israel, both huge trial trafficking hubs. Yep. You know, and we, we have a war there. It's a strange coincidence. I mean, people flee to Israel to escape prosecution for pedophilia. Yep, we've seen that and, happen uh, time and time again. Did it even happen? Weren't there some that fled to Israel immediately after 9-11 as well? Yeah, and that whole dancing Israelis thing mm-hmm. at the deep hole. Yeah, But did you I ever understand. see the side-by-side pick of Soros and Zelensky? No, I haven't. They split the screen, and they put half of each face on, on each side. I haven't Dude, seen that. What, what, there's got to be a relation. Really, same they're related, nose, like biologically bag, related. The whole facial structure, it's it's so exact it's crazy well they're both jewish I, guys I right rumors are related but you know how's this guy a billionaire being a comedian in, in ukraine that nobody heard of yes thank you chase for taking my call sure i was in a bank i uh, yes sir thank you i was in a bank in walmart there's a bank that they have in walmart i was inside there and i inquired about opening an account well this young lady she came up to me and she was speaking to me and telling me some things and i asked i was standing three feet away from her and looking straight into her eyes, she had no eyeglasses on. We were carrying on a conversation, and I asked her a question. She became annoyed at my question, and I said, well, you know, I don't think I want to open an account here. As she looked at me, her eyes became slithered like a snake. I'm, as I'm looking directly at her, her eyes became sniveled as a snake, and then they turned back, and she laughed at me as if to say, uh, look who you're talking to. As, you know, who, who, this is who I am. And as she laughed, I looked at her, I said, I was shocked. I was kind of fearful mm-hmm. because I had never experienced it for real. And I said, no, thank you, and I walked away. And, I and I'm assuming, I'm assuming at this time you were never, you weren't under the influence or anything like that, right? This is a normal day. I was not under the influence of anything, nothing. Uh, and I had, I know about David Icke and what he said. This convinced me 100% that they 
that it is real. Did the eyes blink sideways? Did they have like, did she blink sideways? No, 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 no. Her eyes, she was looking at her eyes all of a sudden. All of a sudden, she didn't even, she was looking directly at me. Her eyes became like a snake, a snake eye. Slivered, just, she didn't blink. She didn't blink, actually. Her eyes were just looking directly into my eyes, and her eyes became slithered. She laughed, and then they went back to normal, and I just was, I was, I was stunned. I, I couldn't think, so, so they are here. It is real, Chase. Wow. Wow, thank you so much for your call yes. and sharing that personal story. That's very interesting. Thank you so much. Let's hear next from Mark in Chicago. Mark, what's on your mind? Hey, Chase, you hear me? Yep, you sound great. Yeah, I, I told the crew that I kind of had this new message for the right, but kind of mm-hmm. want to make a correction where it's more of a, a fruition where I think it's the last six months or a year, I okay. think um, especially our younger generation has more taken on this America first approach where, you know, a lot of our right wing politicians are running on, you know, Israel first or, you know, let's see what's going on overseas and kind of disregard what's going on in America. You know, why do you think our base is ignoring people like, you know, Jake Shields or Harrison or even Nick Fuentes? Like, why do you think our side is kind of ignoring the America first approach and running on, more of an Israel first or, you know, more of this boomer mindset? That's a good question. I think that our politicians are, I think there's a schism on the right where half of the right believes in America first and the other half of the right sort of believes in this neocon America is the police state national security sort of CIA, FBI extension apparatus. And I think the people believe in America first, but if, when you ask about the likes of Fuentes and stuff like that, I think a lot of the reasons that people are reluctant to associate with him are because of some of the remarks that he makes that come off, whether they intentionally are or aren't, is anti-Semitic, and nobody wants to associate themselves with Nazis. And that's one of the things that really grinds my gears about Hitler. Not only did he basically ruined the brand of nationalism by associating with the Holocaust, but he also ruined a perfectly good mustache. No one can ever have that mustache ever again. And it was fantastic because he ruined it. And so that's one of the reasons why I think there's this reluctance on the right of being America first, being nationalist, being populist, because it's so easy for the left to point the finger and say, that's Nazi, isn't it? Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And, just real quick, I just can I give a message to Trump and Shapiro? Sure. You guys it. are listening to this. Trump, uh, Mr. President, you need to go to a UFC event with not just Tucker. You got to somehow get Elon involved in that. I think that would be pretty big. I think a lot of people would like to see that. And number two, Ben Shapiro, you're, I've said this since 2016, I've never liked you. I think. You've never been America first, and you're honestly just destiny with a yarmulke and black hair. God bless America, and let's get Trump back in the office. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Mike, drop on that one. You know, I've mixed, I've mixed feelings about Ben Shapiro. I think he's obviously an Israel first guy. The difference is between Ben Shapiro and our other politicians. The rhinos, the neocons, and the leftists will say that they are America first and then do everything 
against that. They'll, it's, they make it obvious with their actions and their policies that that's a lie. At least Ben Shapiro, I believe, would brazenly admit that he's an Israel first guy. At least he's not lying to you about what he thinks. I disagree with what he thinks. I would say a solid 25% of the time, certainly a lot recently, since this new escalation in Israel has come up. I've had some issues with a lot of the things that he said. But I would say I agree with him. Definitely more than half the time on his analysis of stuff. I disagreed with him about the vaccines. I disagreed with him about Trump. I disagree with him about Israel. But those are three issues in a litany of different political issues. I mean, he's been right about so much of his coverage. And I think he would explicitly state to you that he's an Israel first guy. So I don't see him as this deceptive lying person. I just see him as this very bright person who it's very irritating to listen to when he's wrong about something and very comforting to listen to when he's right about something. He can go through and analyze why some of these cases against Trump are just total malarkey and it'll blow your mind. He can go through and analyze why certain policies from the left are absolutely stupid, whether it's universal basic income, whether it's identity politics, whether it's Marxism, whether it's critical theory. I mean, he can tear apart the problems with our higher education institutions, and it's very comforting to hear him say it because he makes the case and he nails it. So I'm not prepared to just write the guy off totally because I disagree with him on three major issues. But everybody's more complicated than the thing that they're most wrong about. Everybody's better than the worst thing about them. They're smarter than the dumbest thing they've ever said. And you have to have a little bit of graciousness in this space. Now, when you have people like Biden who are intentionally set on exploiting the American people, taxing the hell out of us, undermining us and just berating us and telling us we're extremists, just bashing us, beating us down, and then using all of our money to perpetuate their own wealth when they're just inherently corrupt and corruption is the end and the means itself. Then you can write somebody off. I can write off Joe Biden as perhaps the most evil man that's lived ever since Mao or Hitler or Stalin. I think he is a terrible, trash human being. I think he always has been, and it's not just because he's retarded now. Okay. So don't get me wrong. Some people should be written off, but just because like a Ben Shapiro says something stupid or a Candace Owens says something stupid or a Charlie Kirk says something stupid doesn't mean that these are bad people. And it doesn't even mean that they're stupid people. It just means that they're smart people that believe stupid things. I consider myself a smart person who believes stupid things. I certainly get things wrong all the time. There's no way that we can have someone perfect on all sides. Donald Trump's a good example of this as well. He was a brilliant president. He surrounded himself with terrible people, and he made the same mistake over and over again. Operation Warp Speed was stupid. Mike Pence was terrible, apparently. It turned out that way. Fauci was terrible. He kept him in. He kept Comey way too long. The intelligence community ran circles around the Trump administration. He was constantly impeached under fire, and it was never fair, and it was because he didn't eradicate people from his administration that were terrible people. So does that mean that I hate Donald Trump or I'm not going to vote for him again or that he was a bad president? No. They're likely going to take up the rest of this time. Let's hear first from William in Arkansas. William, what's on your mind? Uh, how y'all doing? Uh, you talk about honest money. Mm. Um, the man who wrote our economic uh, policy was uh, Kenneth Maynard Kinsey. He wrote a uh, call it the Kinsey and Economic Principles. Mm-hmm. Long story short, uh, he basically states that it's the most insidious way to steal the wealth of a nation or an individual, and yet we use this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you've you got to think about it. He got an economic Nobel Prize um, concerning his theorem on this. Um, you know, we have a fractional banking system that's been robbed. That's the problem. Uh, you know, currency. 
um, you think about it. If someone's allowed to invest in another nation's currency to the tune of billions or whatever, you're influencing the buying and selling power of a poor man. Mm-hmm. I don't have the right to. I, I, I'm sorry. My money should be worth tomorrow what it is today, or at least close to it, without just the profiteering from somebody who doesn't need it. It's one thing if somebody's starving, and you you know, but these are power moguls and you know people who want monopolies off of uh, subsidized government you know programs, and, and they've got it. All right, uh, you know, we're looking at what we're looking at. It's mind-boggling. You know, uh, I appreciate you folks. Uh, my best wishes out to, uh, you know, Mr. General Oren Duct Tape out there. Um, you know, Alex is hitting more and more on what I've been saying my whole life, and he does it in a gentle way, and I know you guys have to. I mean, you can hang up on me, and I can't get vulgar, but the public knows that um, we're headed for war. We're already in war. We're headed for kinetic war, all right? Uh, there's no way out of it, people. I, I, I mean, you know, I don't think we should be going and doing stupid stuff. We're not organizing. We're not networking. We're a bunch. We're a nation of individuals. We're not a nation of people anymore. We, you know, seem to refuse to rally around the flag or any cause because you can't trust the government and they're watching down your back, you know, 24 uh, seven, you know, mm-hmm. look at the, uh, uh, International policing organizations, people should really get into the history of Interpol. You want to talk about a corrupt entity, right? And it's a private entity. It has not been sanctioned uh, by international law from its founding, 1924. Uh, Hoover was the executive vice president for a while. The people who founded it were the Odessa brothers out of the the, the Nazi regime, Uh On and on. I mean, it's a story all in itself. You could do a whole program on and then things off of it. So So let's do a little bit of a deep dive here on this on this. Some of the things you're saying, because you're really hitting the nail on the head. You're way over the target on some of these issues. And we need to do a deep dive just for the sake of the audience and just for the sake of me. It's good for me to talk about this every once in a while so I can rehash it in my own mind. So after World War Two. The World Bank met at Bretton Woods, and John Maynard Keynes was one of the economists that was there. This is what you're talking about with these Keynesian economics versus these Austrian economics. Obviously, Ron Paul is a fan of Austrian economics. Keynesian economics is sort of the opposite. It's this fractional reserve banking system that we have. But what a lot of people don't understand when they read about John Maynard Keynes and his theories of unemployment, his theories of how an economy works, is that he was actually involved in the establishment of the dollar as the global reserve currency after World War II with the World Bank at Bretton Woods, and the IMF came out of that as well. And he specifically stated that the only way that this would work, the only way that fractional reserve banking would work and that this gold as the global reserve currency would work was as long as the dollar remained on the gold standard. And we know that the dollar was taken off of the gold standard during the mix, the Nixon administration in the 70s. So in the 50s, we established this gold standard. Everybody agreed that the United States was the safest place to store gold. They agreed that they would, cha- they would trade in dollars and dollars would be backed by gold. And what happened is over time, our government be- began spending a massive amount of money overseas, particularly as the war in Vietnam ramped up. 
and our international allies and partners called us on it and began demanding their gold back, which we were supposed to have here in exchange for the dollars that they had, the paper representation of that gold. It's easier to ship paper. It's lighter weight. It's easier to exchange. You can fit it in your pocket, etc. They wanted their gold because they were worried that we actually didn't have the gold to back the dollars that we were printing, and they were right. So Nixon came out and stated that as a result of international money speculators, we were going to stop exchanging gold for the dollar. And he acted as if it was to avoid fraud on the market. But the fact of the matter is, whether it was his fault or not, we didn't have the gold to back the dollars. He knew it. So we ended the gold standard. That's when he established the OPEC relations where these nations in the Middle East agreed to exchange oil or black gold in U.S. dollar denominations. And that has artificially propped up the strength of the dollar and the status of the dollar as the global reserve currency ever since the 70s, since we're not backed by gold. So Keynes is not my favorite economist by any means. He was a brilliant man, but he is not to be blamed for all of our ails today because he only agreed to the recommendations that he made surrounding the global reserve currency, surrounding the U.S. dollar as the global reserve with the understanding as an economist that the dollar would always be backed by gold, and it wasn't. Within 20 years, the lie was manifest, and our dollar became worthless. And that's how we saw some of these things play out. So, you know, I don't think that Keynes was this globalist. I don't think he was this evil guy. I think he was wrong about a lot of things. I think Austrian economics is in large much stronger than the Keynesian economics that we see today. But it's really sort of a mischaracterization of him, in my opinion, to characterize him as the economist behind all of the ails that we feel today. Because he believed that we would always maintain this gold-backed currency, and he believed that it was a necessary function, a necessary premise of the argument for the dollar as the U.S. global reserve currency. And he was right. As long as we had been honest to the gold, as long as we hadn't overprinted and overspent in order to line the pockets of the military-industrial conflicts and escalate these conflicts overseas, then we would have been in a much better place economically. But our politicians got greedy. They overspent. They overprinted the money. We didn't have the gold. We got called off of it, called on it. And now we print money indiscriminately. There is no gold standard at all. We're explicitly stated as not having any gold and there not being any gold standard. And we get in conflict after conflict in the Middle, sea, in the Middle East over this global reserve status, which we seek to perpetuate and is becoming more and more difficult to perpetuate as this lie manifests in the global economic landscape. Let's hear next from Brian in Philly. Brian, what's in your mind? Uh, yeah, so uh, big sport of the InfoWars. You're doing a great job. Thanks a lot. Um, Thank you. I've been, the, the FDA is like completely incompetent, and they've just decided to remove all the Mucinex products, the Dayquil products, the Sudafed products from the shelf. So I started digging into it, and I found out that the, the ingredient that they're removing actually uh, increases survivability of hemorrhagic fever, so like Marburg. Mm. So, I mean, if the deep state could have removed ivermectin from the shelves, if it was the OTC product, they would have done it. So, you know, Fauci, Gates, Biden are all talking about the next pandemic. I'm thinking the next one has to be some type of airborne hemorrhagic fever and they're trying to get these off the shelf so people can't treat it. That makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense to me. And Derek. we hear the same rhetoric from the globalists, from the elite today, that we were hearing just in the months kind of running up to the pandemic that we saw in 
2019 and 2020 with COVID, where they're saying it's going to happen again, and they're preparing for it to happen again, and there's all this language around establishing new programs and new departments. We heard from Blinken last week that there's this new special sort of department program that's being established in order to monitor viruses so that we can catch them earlier next time. They're definitely going to plan another pandemic. I don't know if it's going to be next year or in 2028, but they loved what happened the first time, and they can't wait for it to happen again. Thank you so much for your call. I appreciate it. We are coming to the end of this segment, which is the end of this program. I will see you next week as I am celebrating Thanksgiving with my family the rest of the week this week. Make sure you stay tuned for Alex Jones hosting the very infamous Alex Jones show at 11 a.m. just in four minutes.